Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to explore that age-old dilemma between how you feel about your writing and what's true about your writing. Yes, this started with a small experiment this morning we'll get into later, but first, what are you working on? Well, right now, I'm actually working on developing a project for this summer and um, moving into sort of my experimental stage again. So I'm hoping to experiment on another long-form video project. So You don't call it film anymore. Well, I think that's a little disingenuous. Because I'm not actually using film, nor does it show up in a movie theater near you. (laughs) All right. Um, How about you, Elizabeth? (laughs) What are you working on? What are you working on? I am, I don't know if I mentioned this on a podcast yet, but I'm retyping my novel. Wow. Yeah. That's a project. So you're just typing it. Well, I'm not just typing it, but I actually adore this. I've never done this before. You know, I I, I think we've talked about and I've been tempted by various people's assertions that they, you know, throw out or put aside the entire manuscript, start from scratch, not because they're rejecting it entirely, but just to like, I don't know, Gabriel Talent talks about that. He wrote My Absolute Darling. You know, he like, like 12 different times he sort of put it aside. You know, he would read it kind of hold what was good about it and then rewrite it. Anyway, so that has always been intriguing to me, but also like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing that. That's what I'm not doing. But I am re- I'm hold- like I have the printed out edited manuscript to- on one side physically, and then I'm typing it back in. And as I'm typing, I'm then much freer to change the sentences. It's I'm not editing. I'm recreating. Do you know what I mean? Even mm-hmm. though it's very often it's the same sentence. Because I've worked really hard on this thing. But anyway, and I mean, I'm also making many other major changes. So I'm just in this yet another big revision. So that sounds like fun. Well, it actually, you know, mostly is. But mm. as we as we found this morning, so just to fill everybody in, there was I had gotten to a scene. I had written an F, I'd written a version of it and thought, oh, this is so, so, so bad. Uh, it can't happen this way. And maybe I need more information. I texted someone and didn't hear back. I started ordering books from the library and listening to podcasts and like just doing all so this. So panicking. Well, researching is another <laughs> word for it. Um, and then I just was like, I just, I was like, should I, I don't, I didn't want to skip it. Cause I sort of feel like I'm moving forward through it in this deep way, like with a comb because of the retyping. And so I just didn't want to jump over something and leave a hole and finally, I just asked you if I could read you the scene. Mm-hmm. And you said, let me just get some coffee and put my pants on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a little early. Yeah. But you agreed mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. once you had some coffee. And some pants. And I read it to you. And neither you nor I thought it was as hideously awful as I had oops, had felt while I was writing it. In fact, it seemed like, oh, I can use this and move on. So there was a pretty big discrepancy between your analysis as you were writing it and your analysis as you were reading it. And I mean, the sad and the true thing is that I always say that voice in your head that comments while you're writing doesn't actually know anything about writing. It's just scared, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's convincing. It, it, it presents as, and many people mislabel it as your editor, your critic, you know, your, your 
smart best friend, right? I mean, it presents <laughs> in these ways that make it seem like I better listen to this voice that is saying, what the hell are you doing? This is terrible. Right. But actually that voice doesn't even know how to read, right? It's just panicking. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. Well, I also think in it, you know, this is, there are a number of writing ideas about how you should feel while you're writing in mm. order to have a sense of your writing's worth. So sometimes it's like, well, if you're bored, maybe what you're writing is boring. That came up at camp. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think sometimes it can be true. And I think that once you've hit a certain uh, level where you're writing often enough, I think you can write some really important things while you're bored out of your nut, right? So... <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous, but I... Well, it's also, it's, it's, it sounds like writing is work. And it's pretty <laughs> easy work compared to coal mining or whatever, but it's, it's a, you know, you don't think, I mean, maybe, maybe you do, but you know, it's like if your job, if there's some part of your job that like, where you don't really feel like doing, but you know, it's the time you do it, right? If there's mm-hmm. some part of, you're like, I don't want to make dinner for the kids, but you do it. You know what I mean? Like, so there's, so it's like, why shouldn't writing have elements where you're like, I don't really want to write that scene right now, but I'm going to. Right. So that addresses the boring part, but the horror, the horror that <laughs> rises up from inside the of us horror. to tell us that what we're doing is just, you know, it, you know, and that, that voice throws just whatever you're afraid of. So mm-hmm. if you're someone who was raised Catholic, then you get this, like, you are so arrogant <laughs> to imagine that you could attain some level of perfection or, and, even or even competence. And if you, you know, if that's not your bag, it's like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, you maybe have a reader in your own mind who's, who's going to be you know, giving you feedback about the suckiness of it. Yeah, I, th- I think I felt like, oh, this is cliche, this is unbelievable, th- which is sort of like almost contradictory in a way. But, um, you know, anyway, it was just, it just felt like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing enough, right? I have to run back and do more research, run back and figure out more in my brain before I go writing. Which ultimately gets to this other idea, which is that, and this isn't true just of writing, it's true of everything that your emotions are not always an accurate gauge of what's actually happening. And on the flip side, there's no reason you should expect that anything you do will be unendingly entertaining or good or fun or the things that we somehow, you know, if you're following your passion, then this is like what's true. And it's like, you know what? I think people follow their passion and have days where they're just like, ugh. You know, well, the thing is, if you only follow, if you flit after your various passions and they change from moment to moment, you're not going to sort of ever build or complete something. Exactly. So you follow your passion and then pretty soon you're like slugging for a while through the marshlands or whatever. Right. And then there's, oh, there's your passion. And, right. And maybe you even find you like slugging through the marshlands. Slogging? That's the word I'm looking slogging. for. Slogging. Here's the other thing that I think is really relevant to this whole conversation that I talk about. And okay, I, just as long as it's relevant, because I don't want to mess around with irrelevant. <laughs> well, I think it's important even. Ooh. Well, yeah, which is that um, this whole idea that your the quality of your writing is not as markedly varied as our emotions tell us, right? So, so there I was thinking, this is just com- like completely hideous. And then I read it back and actually it's you know, it's, it's, it's at the level of competence that I generally write at, right? Which is 
more than 20 years ago, you know what I mean? Hopefully less than, you know, in 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of that. So, you know, you're the, the, it's like, it's like you get on a, it's like as if, if, if writing were bike riding, right? If writing were bike riding and we were like, I think everyone really got the distinction between, I just just wanted to enunciate well. Um, And every time we were going to get on a bike, we were like, what if I can't remember how to balance what if I fall there over? There are people who what have if I don't anxieties know how to pedal? like that, though. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the... It's actually totally an anxiety that comes up for, uh, you know, people who are doing public speaking or people who are in any kind of high-stakes um, situation. So even though you're saying, you know, bicycle riding, imagine if you were like, I have to ride this bike down a really steep hill in order to get this heart to a transplant patient <laughs> at the hospital, like just in the foothills of the Alps. How but all I have is a bike. How wonderful that our writing feels so high stakes. Yes. Right? I well, mean, because we your whole self-image is on the line, right? In, it's in a more way. than your self-image, though. I mean, I actually think there's the deeper, like, I want to tell this story well. Right? I think your self-image is far more impactful than you think. Like, the notion, your identity level assumptions about yourself are not things you want to challenge you're talking to me personally no, just anybody all of our listeners as being humans <laughs> for you know those of us who have a conscious and unconscious part of our brain mm-hmm. we have identities that we believe in about ourselves when we have things we believe to be true about ourselves and so when we are putting ourselves in a situation and this is fixed mindset right when we put ourselves in a situation that challenges our sense of self and writing will always be that writing is always going to be are you as good as your last piece if your last piece was good <laughs> or are can you be better than your last <laughs> can you be better than well, your last piece right but you know and but but I do think that there's this way in which i mean you can't obviously there's some range and that's why we edit and you know cut lots of things and all of that and at the same time you know you're writing at a certain level and it's just not varying in the extremes that it feels emotionally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're doing it. So I just, I think that's fascinating and so important to remember. And and it's why I tell people to do that wonderful exercise that someone assigned me of trying to write badly Mm -hmm. because you just, you know, it's like, go go for it. Like do the worst you can. And you're going to see that like, even it has like hidden gems and it's just, it's just writing. Whether you try to be bad or try to be brilliant, you're just kind of you. And depending on how you feel about yourself. <laughs> well, that, that, and it's all back to the emotions, right? I mean, I was, so I was listening to the audiobook of A Visit from the Goon Squad to just absorb some writing that I think is really wonderful. And I was so excited and I was thinking, okay, like this is how I'm going to rewrite my book. And then I sat down and lo and behold, like, I'm not Jennifer Egan and I can't write <laughs> sentences like her just because I decided I could any more than I could be my sister parent like my sister just because I loved how she treated her kids. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, oh, that's what kind of parent I'm going to be. And I'm going to write like Jennifer Egan. And like, I can't even tell you my Olympic plans, you know, <laughs> it's hilarious. I think we've hit the end of this topic. <laughs> Should we just wrap it up? <laughs> Let's just have a short episode and go right on to steal this. Okay. Because this was just, this was like a momentary insight. Then we were talking about it over breakfast and then it seemed like this should be a podcast, but then like hours more went by and now it's afternoon and I think we've said it. We've We've said what needed to be said. feelings in between. Well, so let's just recap a couple things. So we want, the takeaways are, uh, 
you're going to have these feelings about your writing. No matter what. Those feelings aren't really helpful in terms of deciding whether to keep going or not. Exactly. Don't don't decide, oh, my inner feeling is blah, so I'm going to stop. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Your feelings are not accurate. Mm-hmm. We're here to tell you. They're important. They matter. Feel them. But don't make decisions based. <laughs> well, you know, the whole thing is that, you know, your feelings, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's feeling awesome or feeling terrible, they all go away. They're transient. So you have to kind of trust in in the natural movement of them. And don't let your writing be transient. Exactly. Um, and, you know, you're going to get steadily better if you keep going. I mean, going. all of this is really easy to say. And let's just say that as well. Well, like, and I feel like I've said it before, and yet it's when I need to realize it and I'm stuck in the not realizing it, you know, and then all of a sudden it comes back to me. It's like, oh. Okay, it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Not always entirely convincing in the moment of dread, right? But but uh, you know, but then I I read it to you. It's one of the things that I hate. Like I will often often have just it it physically and emotionally is so hard for me to write in certain you know certainly like longer form prose. Like I feel like screenwriting feels like it's a less risky thing for me and at the same time I think writing prose is this other thing where it it does it can feel but really can really awful even screenwriting can feel that way yeah good <laughs> thanks so now I've extended that terrible horrible feeling into all areas so so um so so another thing is Wait a couple days, read it aloud to someone else. Lower your expectations. But I mean, I really, by taking some time off and then reading it aloud to you, I felt shored up. Like, oh, I can keep going with this. I know I'll make it better. You know, I'll edit it and make it better. But actually, it it wasn't terrible at all. No, it wasn't. And I'm just wondering, since we said like three minutes ago, should we make this short? If people are like, dude, (laughs) I was really looking forward to this kind of wrapping up. Well, it's time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? You know, um, I've been doing a lot of reading actually about study skills recently. And so I've been thinking a lot about reading and holding on to the things that you read. Because even though I have done quite a bit of reading in a variety of contexts throughout my life, I don't feel confident in systems of retaining uh, information or my thoughts about it. And it used to be that you could go back to your book often and mm. see your annotations. But now we're in this place where you actually have to intentionally set up a system for you to hold on to notes about things that you read. And if you don't, they're, they just disappear, right? There's not a, you know, we've known this for decades that you know you read something once, and you lose 90% of it, you know, in less than like a month or something. So we have all these books. <laughs> so we have, all, we have all these books that we love, right? And we have such a great sense of, but the truth is right now I'm really thinking about like, how do I continue to make accessible things that I loved reading, but without having to spend another 13 hours to go through the novel? So I'm thinking about the intentional retention of information from things I read. Wait, you're talking about rereading a novel? 
Well, let's say you read a novel and you're like, I love this and I love this and I love this, but let's say you're reading it on your Kindle. Well, okay. Yeah. And so you can make notes, but the notes are still sort of, you know, not... They're disembodied. They're a little disembodied. And there's really nothing in the reading process. Um, well, let me back up. When you're in school, your teachers have really clear goals for you as a student, that you will understand X number of things by this date. When we become adults, we might plow through more books than we did even in school, but we don't have a we don't always have a goal or we might have a short-term goal, but we don't think about the long-term retention. A lot of our education isn't about a long-term retention and integrating it. So what I'm actually thinking about this week is note-taking systems and not just like how to take notes in relation to the content, but what is the overall system so that you might be able to say to yourself, oh, I read this book and it was about this thing at this time. And I've come back to looking at my notes about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this, and this. And that's really what excited me about it. And you don't have to reread the whole book to reconnect with those triggers. So just trying to think about that. You love systems. I God, I love a system. Because I ima- it's my magic bullet. I imagine if there's a system that somewhere along the line, I will actually get something done. <laughs> The system itself might be the thing you get done. The system's the thing. Um, I So I listened to A Visit from the Goon Squad and really thought about um, emotion. That's my sort of big thinking thing, right, is like how explicit emotion often is. And actually theme as well and how shaping and kind of like it, it, it creates this beautiful through line that, you know, all these people are thinking and feeling about, you know, in, in the visit Lagoon's got about sort of time and its impact on our lives. And now I'm listening to The Keep, another Jennifer Egan book. Um, and, you know, he's that, the character, the main character is kind of very aware of power. And other, he's very, he looks sort of, he has a magical power, you know, a human magical power of like being able to sort of read the power dynamics in a situation mm-hmm. very quickly. And so there's just a lot of things about power and imagination. And I'm, so I'm just thinking there is something that I love about theme. And um, I think it sounds like one of those things that's like super abstract and like don't even worry about it, but it's actually... I never get why people say that. I don't even understand why you would embark on editing a book that you'd written. I will give people, like, you need to write a draft to explore and discover what the theme is. I'll totally give you that. But if you don't know what your theme is by the time that you've finished the draft and are approaching revision... I have no idea how you actually can revise. Mm. Yeah, so I'm just, it's really fun to listen for these things and to listen to how every beat is an emotional beat. Mm-hmm. I feel like, did I already talk about this? I don't know. This is what I'm completely obsessed with. So I'm thinking about it in class. I've thought about it during Sonoma County Writers Camp, and I'm still thinking about it. So, um, so what are you stealing? So I'm going to steal, well, this kind of. And I know Jennifer Egan does this kind of crazy big draft and then figures it all out and does all this thinking and whatever. And I guess I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I'm really working on the beat by beat emotion that I'm kind of, and so I'm, and then I want to, um, so I want to steal that. And then I want to really sort of steal just that, that awareness of theme and the different ways that it presents itself organically, but, but pushed to the surface in a manuscript. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's something that it's that you can be that as a writer, when you're aware of it, you can sort of go, OK, here's that moment where the theme is really rising up. Mm-hmm. 
So, all right, there you go. That's another Storymaker show. No taglines. Come on, people. What do you want us to say to you? More we can do <laughs> an ASMR <laughs> tagline.